Hello and welcome to the latest edition of Seattle Nice. I'm David Hyde, here as always with Erica C. Barnett of Publicola. Hi, Erica. Hello, hello. Sandeep Kaushik of uh, Kaushik & Company. How are hey. you, Sandeep Kaushik? Yeah, Kaushik & Company, huh? Hey, 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 I'm good. So today, it's our annual year in review show. I think it's, it might be our first annual year in review show, or have we done this before? I'm not <laughs> yeah. really sure. Uh, and we're going to be talking about a number of topics, including Bruce Harrell's year in review. But first... We thought we'd start by by winding the clock back to an episode that we did just about at this time last year. And the question was, would Seattle politics be better off without Twitter? And so we've looked at that. Uh, we've carefully analyzed the um, <laughs> the outcome uh, <laughs> over the last year. The data. The data. We've looked at the data. Erica, uh, well, first of all, Twitter still exists, so I guess we're not quite answer the question. But uh, but what what would your answer to that question be now a year later? Oh my God, we were such uh, summer children. Um, yeah, I I uh, personally am not really on Twitter anymore. You know, in the last year, uh, obviously um, Elon Musk I think had recently taken over Twitter. Um, now it's X. And he's, you know, let a lot of Nazis back on the platform. Uh, today, as we're recording, he let Alex Jones back on. There's just a lot of reasons that people, you know, generally speaking, uh, progressives in particular, are not on Twitter as much anymore. So, you know, I mean, would Seattle politics be better off without Twitter? Well, I would say Seattle politics is largely off Twitter. So I think that's kind of, that kind of answers itself. We thought we couldn't live without Twitter. And I think people, including myself, are, are learning that um, we can. And I will just make one observation about being off Twitter for the most part. I still post my stories on there. There's a lot of people in the Seattle political atmosphere that really used to bug me and piss me off all the time. And they're just gone now. <laughs> like, it's like they don't exist. And so I think what I personally learned is um, you can actually turn these things off and sometimes like your life is better for it. Uh, Sandeep Kashik, a frequent Twitter yourself. You're pretty much on there all the time. You've actually upped your Twitter game over the last year. I have upped my Twitter game. Uh, yeah, it's, <laughs> yeah, maybe it's you're funny. one of the like, people like, I'm talking about, Sandeep. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, apparently I like the new fascistic reactionary Twitter is like, yeah, now that all the annoying lefties have got, are gone, I like it a lot more. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, look, wow, there is life after Twitter. I mean, I, as you know, and as I said last year, like I hate Twitter, right? I've always kind of hated what it did and what it represented and the impacts that social media has had on our discourse, I think are very clearly a net negative. I still think that's true. Twitter is very different, or X, or whatever you're going to call it, from what it was a year ago. I am actually on there more these days for whatever reason. But it does feel like social media itself has kind of taken a hit across the board. I Like, I don't know, where is the – it just fragmented. Where is the meeting place now? If it used to be Twitter, it's not that anymore – you know, Erica semi decamped. A lot of other people have too. Facebook is just dead, right? It's the place you go for to post pictures of your grandkids, or uh, there's really nothing going on in Facebook. So I don't know where where is it? Instagram or TikTok? Where all the action's <laughs> happening? But it it definitely feels like wherever it is, I'm not there. <laughs> so if that has meant that that social media has sort of declined in importance in our lives a little bit, I think that's probably a good thing. I, 
I think it's changed. I mean, I think that the meeting place aspect of Twitter is something that really has not been replaced, unfortunately, yet. Um, but I think just in terms of like as a content producer or, you know, whatever you want to call what I do, like, uh, you know, it's just migrated. I mean, now I'm sort of I'm posting everywhere on I'm on Instagram, like way, way more. Um, I'm on threads, but that also seems to be kind of a vacant room um, a little bit. That's Facebook's Twitter. Is that what that yeah, is? That's yeah, that's Facebook's Twitter. And I'm on Blue Sky, which, Sandeep, you would hate because that's where all the lefties went. <laughs> oh, is it? Yeah. I, th- I I mean, obviously, people put the like their Blue Sky handle in their Twitter thing now. And yeah. KUW left Twitter when Elon Musk branded NPR uh, like a government-sponsored organization or something like that. And they, Propaganda they left in, pro- outlet, they left in protest. Yeah. It, it's just not a great place to have a conversation. I, you know, I... I've been admonished yeah, on Twitter toxic, right? <laughs> before, and I just don't like it. And uh, so it has never been my favorite thing. Um, but Elon Musk says about Alex Jones, I vehemently disagree with what he said about Sandy Hook, but are, are we a platform that believes in freedom of speech or are we not? So there you go. I'm not engaging with anything Elon Musk says, which is one reason I'm off Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I will, I will say like that, the algorithm is totally different now. And the, the stuff that pops up in my Twitter feed or X feed or whatever you want to call it is really different than it used to be. And it does tilt significantly more, you know, kind of conservative or right wing voices or, or voices that I was like, why am I all of a sudden getting these various people in my Twitter feed? I don't follow any of them. And, you know, what's going on here? So it is it is. I think pretty profoundly different than it was 12 months ago. It is different. It is different. It's interesting because I have my own account. I have the Seattle nice account and the Seattle nice account only follows you two and like city council people. I think, And it gets a different feed than my own Twitter account. I still think, I I still think Twitter is useful for tracking the news. Obviously. I somewhat weirdly, I am on it more now than I was. I don't find that weird at all, Sandeep, because you, you, you are (laughs) obsessed with the Twitter left and they finally left. And now you're, now it's, it's you and your people. Yeah. Well, it's not really my people. Like I said, I'm getting a lot of, I'm getting a lot of right wing stuff. I don't really consider those people my people, but I, I do think some of the people that I found most kind of ultra ideological and there's less of the kind of Twitter car wreck pile on stuff now. And I do like that, but you know, there's less of the kind of a year and a half ago or two years ago, it was like Twitter was just a train wreck. You know, you went on there and it was just like, who was being ostracized? Who, you know, what were the massive, you know, ideological. Well, now it's just everybody. Yeah. Now it's just, it's the right doing that. I, I, I noticed on Twitter um, the other day that um, one of the stories that we ran was going crazy. And I went to see like, why, why is this getting so much traction on Twitter? And it was because Jason Rantz, our local right-wing commentator, had posted a thing mocking a story that we ran and that turned into this long thread of people mocking me and mocking the woman who was quoted in the piece. And, you know, just, just this like, pile on of bizarre, you know, parasocial hatred. And uh, I said, thank you very much. And I clicked away. And uh, that's the last time I've been on Twitter. So social media is alive and well, is what you're saying. Let's talk about some of the biggest stories of the year, starting with fentanyl. Who wants to start, Erica? 
Uh, I guess I can start. I mean, you know, the fentanyl epidemic continued uh, to escalate all year this year in Seattle, everywhere else too. Um, There's a big story in the Seattle Times today, uh, Sunday, as we're recording about safe consumption sites. But I think the, you know, the big sort of local angle on that story this year was this, uh, this drug law that kind of consumed the debate about drugs and, you know, quote-unquote disorder generally uh, for much of the year. This is the law that made it possible for the city attorney to prosecute people for using drugs in public or for possession of drugs. And, uh, you know, it also kind of ate the election. It became, you know, one of the only couple of issues that existed. But, uh, you know, surprise, surprise, we did not uh, make a lot of progress on fentanyl this year. It is an issue that cannot be addressed by just cracking down on people using drugs in public uh, because addiction doesn't work that way. But, you know, it, it did become kind of the major issue of not just the elections, but, uh, you know, I would say of the entire year. Sandeep, 47 arrests have been made, according to KOW, as of the end of November, according to SPD. Of those arrests, 33 people have been diverted. But uh, to Erica's point, you know, what's your take at this point on the uh, on the outcome, the fallout, the aftermath? Yeah, well, uh, Erica's point is well taken that the drug law did kind of take over. The It became the central sort of focal point of the council elections we just had where, you know, kind of moderate progressive candidates ended up pretty much decisively beating, uh, or at least across the board beating, some of the races were close, but at least across the board beating more left-lane candidates. And it was largely because that drug law became a proxy for a larger debate we're having in the city around public safety. So, but I, I will say like the stats you just reeled off, David, like the disjuncture between at least so far the actual impact of the law and yet the symbolic importance it took on over the last year in our politics is really like astronomically wide. I mean, first of all, even your 47 arrest statistic, if you parse that a little more, I mean, the the first day the law went into effect, they did an enforcement action at 12th and Jackson and 3rd and Pine that netted something like 20 plus arrests on just on one day, right? And then since then, it means... They've been the laws being invoked, I think, less than once every two days or right around, you know, one arrest every other day. So that's basically a case where SVD is barely using this law that figured so prominently. Now, whether that's going to change or not in the future, I don't know. But right now, in, in terms of its reality and its impact, it's kind of a nothing burger. But and this is exactly what I reported, uh, and I was kind of scoffed at at the time. Um, but I reported this, you know, early on when they started debating this law, that you know this law is not going to have the kind of amazing, incredible impact that its proponents have claimed. And the reason for that is, you know, very obvious, and it's something we've discussed on this podcast a bunch of times. There is not, you know, there's not sufficient space in the jail. There's not sufficient uh, funding for um, alternatives like lead. So, I mean, you can't, you, there's only so many people that lead, uh, which is the main diversion program, can take on. The ability of the city attorney to prosecute these cases is limited because uh, they have a lot of other stuff on their plate. So you're talking about, you know, expanding the possibility of, you know, arrest, prosecution, diversion, et cetera, but you're not expanding the actual system that has to do that. So it was entirely predictable. And in fact, you know, Lisa Dugar, um, from the uh, Purpose Dignity Action, that which runs lead, um, was saying this from the very beginning. It, it is not 
you know, going to be an impactful law unless, you know, we expand the jail uh, capacity, unless we fund lead, which, you know, Bruce Harrell's budget and that was just passed um, did not do. <laughs> so, you know, I mean, if you don't expand capacity, you're not going to uh, expand access, you know, or jail. So uh, this was this was pretty predictable. It seems like Lisa Dugard is beating the drum to try to get more funding for lead around this drug law. Sarah Nelson has said that that's her number one priority, I think, for next year. So are we going to, I don't know if it's lead particularly, but sort of drug treatment, drug rehab, is that going to change? Are we going to see a lot more funding for this stuff, including lead next year? There are, it remains to be seen, but there are definitely some, what I would call preliminary conversations going on with people like Lisa Dugard that, that I've had a little bit of involvement in my DSC role about, you know, can we come up with a better approach, you know, of what we need to really address the, the, the fentanyl crisis that's unfolding on our streets? We, whether those conversations go anywhere or not, I don't know. It remains to be seen, but, um, but I think that the need is definitely there, right? And I will just, just really quick to what Erica was saying before. Back in September, when the drug law, the quote unquote new version of the drug law finally passed, and we did an episode of Seattle Nice about it. It was, we did predict kind of this, right? I mean, we, we, you know, Erica's right. We said, I think we were in agreement. Like, where's the mechanism of diversion? Where's the, the treatment slot? Where's the deal slot? I, the other factor I think is also with public safety initiatives, typically, if you want a sustained response from SVD on it, it requires a lot of top down kind of involvement and pressure from elected officials from either the council or the mayor's office. And so I think this raises a question about whether they're really pushing on SVD to kind of kind of actually enforce this law or whether there was a sort of, you know, first day kind of splashy show and now things have sort of reverted. But but to Erica's larger point, structurally, we, we are lacking, I think, a lot of the that's right. I mean, we said at the time it felt like smoke and mirrors, like a lot of the stuff that they the context they had built around the 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 punitive part of the law when they passed it in September. And that seems to be playing out on our streets. So a couple of things to respond to what you said, Sandeep. You said that the that it remains to be seen if there's going to be funding. We actually know that there's not going to be funding for this next year. Sarah Nelson's big push to get abstinence-based private treatment funded ended up uh, with, I think, $600,000. I could be wrong about the exact number, so forgive me if I am, but... I think it was four hundred. But a fairly insignificant amount of money in the scheme of the budget. So uh, so that does not remain to be seen. It is seen and known. And then... The other, the other point about, you know, SPD, you know, uh, doing this big push, I think we need to stop being naive about these things or, or faux naive or whatever it is that, you know, that proponents of these kind of crackdowns uh, are. SPD always does a big showy push and, you know, has some big event and surrounds an intersection and goes in and arrests a bunch of people and then doesn't do anything again on, you know, whatever it is until the mayor says, or, you know, or Tim Burgess, the deputy mayor says, we got to go in and crack down on this corner. It's all smoke and mirrors. I mean, when it comes to this law in particular, they can't. There is, like, as I said, there's just simply not the capacity. So SPD is not going to go in and handcuff a bunch of people and that they can't book 
for using drugs in public and take their drugs away. That is just a dumb use of SPD resources. And even if it wasn't, um, we don't have a history that shows them uh, doing any kind of sustained push like that on any um, similar law in, in recent history. So I think we just need to stop like paying big attention to these stories. I think it's, you know, ridiculous the kind of play they get in the media. Um, you know, it's splashed across the front page that SPD goes into 12th and Jackson every now and then and arrests 20 people. I mean, honestly, that should be like, you know, the bottom of the local section, uh, whatever the equivalent of that is, because it's it's generally pretty meaningless. Well, and, and people who voted against the law quoted Seattle Nice or used the phrase smoke and mirrors, um, and you still both disagree about that, it seems like, about whether or not the law should have been passed at all, right? Well, yeah. No, I, I think because it's smoke and mirrors, it shouldn't have been passed. Right. I, I was, at the end of the day, supportive of the law, but also, as I said in September, I think maybe smoke and mirrors was actually my my term at the time, but um, uh, that that at least the wraparound stuff, the $27 million and, you know, that stuff that got announced as sort of this is why we're now able to pass this law, that did feel mostly like smoke and mirrors. I mean, the one tangible thing, as we said at the time, that is likely to come out of this is an opioid overdose recovery site, though even that is moving forward at a much slower pace than I would like, right? And in part because the particular funding sources they've used are very difficult to access. And, you know, um, there's a series of issues that are slowing the progress on that in ways that I think are very um, frustrating. So, Well, okay, so maybe the the drug law isn't living up to some of the promise, but Fortunately, we've got another institution to talk about, the King County Regional Homelessness Authority, how it performed over the last year. Both of you considering that maybe the biggest story or the second biggest story. Erica, tell us about why you think King County Regional Homelessness Authority is the other thing that people should be uh, reviewing when they're doing their annual year in review, (laughs) you know, on, on New Year's Eve. Yeah, I think it's actually relevant in a look forward way, too, because um, the Homelessness Authority was, you know, established as the uh, sort of overarching authority that's going to address homelessness for the entire region. We know Seattle and other cities said this is a regional problem. It's not a city by city problem. So we're going to do something about it by creating this agency. I uh, was skeptical about that from the very beginning because I don't, I mean, again, it's, it's about funding. It's about resources. It's not about just reorganizing the deck chairs. But uh, they did it, um, and in this last year, um, of course, the uh, founding CEO, uh, Mark Jones, resigned after, you know, a series of sort of just a lot of conflict and failed initiatives and initiatives where people told them that this isn't going to work, and they moved ahead anyway. And so that was like the big symbolic thing, you know, that if not failure, a major setback. So... During all that, there was the implosion of a hotel program that was uh, run by the Lived Experience Coalition, which we talked about a lot this year. Um, So I won't go into too many details, but there was sort of just a series of catastrophes. The next thing that happened after that was that the sort of big push to do uh, to fix homelessness downtown or to end visible homelessness downtown, which was supposed to happen by last year, 
did not happen. They closed down the program. They hired a bunch of people who had uh, were formerly homeless and ended up they they hired you know dozens of people. Ended up laying them all off. So it was just you know a series of really really bad headlines for them. So why is this a story looking forward? Because this stuff is still going on. <laughs> um, you know, Mark Dones is gone, but I think that morale at the agency is uh, low. A lot of people um, very high up in the agency have departed. Uh, the number of jobs that are open at the KCRHA right now is, um, I believe, in the dozens for, you know, a pretty small agency, about 100 people, I think. And, you know, it, there's I think there's real skepticism about whether this was the right direction to go. And at the same time, and then I'll shut up, there is the, the question of funding. Um, the city of Seattle is the main funder. And as we know, the city is facing a potential $200 million plus budget deficit next year. So, you know, the cavalry isn't coming. And so I think that there's going to be some real questions next year, especially when people, you know, uh, perhaps on the new city council start saying, you know, this agency isn't performing. And that's kind of a chicken and egg problem. But, you know, I think there's going to be some real questions about uh, survival. And last, last thing I'll say <laughs> is that they, they also <laughs> they also still need a CEO. Um, they don't have a permanent CEO yet. And it's not clear how that search is going. I do think that King County RHA, Regional Homelessness Authority, and its its woes over this last year that, that Erica has detailed is arguably the biggest story of the year because of how profound the implications are, right? I mean, I, th- I think Erica's description of KCRHA and the fact that it's on a pretty shaky footing at this point, and that I think a huge amount is lying on how this um, CEO search goes, right? A huge amount of, of uh, its future viability I think people are investing in it that they better produce something out of this search and come up with a leader who's going to be able to work to reassure various stakeholders and players and elected officials regionally that this is a viable institution and is on a pathway to become more effective uh, going forward. I think that all kind of hangs in the balance right now. And as a result, our entire kind of homelessness response, maybe not our entire homelessness, but much of our homelessness response is sort of, you know, in some kind of uncomfortable stasis, right? You know, um, some of these big splashy initiatives they've pulled back on. It's not clear that there's a real plan or agenda or strategy going forward on homelessness. You know, everything seems like it's kind of in this weird liminal flux state right now. And uh, and when we're talking about, you know, what for the last five plus years has been by far the biggest problem in the city, which was, you know, rising levels of homelessness. So it's a huge issue, right? Uh, uh, How this plays out, how the future of KCRHA plays out is a huge issue with really profound implications. Thank you, Professor Kaushik and Professor Barnett. Now, let me turn to <laughs> the question of Bruce Harrell's year in review. Not enough progress, you're saying, on homelessness or on the fentanyl crisis. Bruce Harrell's been there. He's been mayor. Uh, he's going to be mayor next year, too, with a new friendly council. But how would you uh, rank Bruce Harrell's year in review, Erica Barnett, giving him a letter grade, <laughs> A, B, C, D, or F, uh, Jesus Christ. Y? 
Well, yeah, you know I love this topic of uh, grading people on on their on their year. I mean, you know, look, uh, Bruce Harrell, um, you know, as Sandeep has pointed out, and as I pointed out, I mean, really won big in the last election in a sense. I mean, he has a city council mm-hmm. that is allied with him, uh, you know, almost entirely, with the exception of uh, Tammy Morales, his former um, foe for um, city council. The new Nick Licata, Tammy Morales. Yeah, I guess so. Uh, so it's a it, in that sense, it was a uh, a good year for him. But you know, I think if you are a person interested in policy and actually like making progress on the problems that we have, like I am, you know, as you said, I mean, these problems are as bad as they've ever been. I think there's only so much impact um, any mayor can have on the fentanyl crisis, which is a national problem, and it is a problem of addiction. It's public health. So you know, I don't want to necessarily trash him for not solving that. You know, I think at the same time, I mean, we we have not seen a lot of progress on homelessness. A lot of these problems are continuing to get worse. And um, as I said, I think last week, the uh, completely allied council, you know, could be less of a blessing uh, than a curse in some ways, because now there is unanimity more or less on the direction the city should go. And so they've got to make some progress uh, on the things that they say they want to do, like, you know, increasing the number of cops in the city, like cracking down on drugs more, and like just solving all of the problems that the city faces. So, you know, now there is, there is you know, sort of a mandate, and I say sort of because a lot of these races are pretty close. Um, so what is Bruce Harrell going to do? Now, I mean, I think on the flip side, People who are upset at the presence of visible homelessness downtown um, are probably pretty happy with the mayor because he has really um, increased sweeps downtown. So you don't see the kind of encampments that you used to see post-COVID or post the um, COVID shutdown. So um, I think that, you know, I've certainly heard people saying, wow, you know, everything just looks so much better. Things must be getting better And it's like, well, yeah, because people are coming back downtown and because Harold is, you know, ensuring that the streets are swept of homeless people. But that doesn't mean they're not homeless anymore. Sadiq Kashik, Bruce Harrell's year in review. Erica giving him, I'm going to say that's a B minus. What would you, what would you, (laughs) what would your letter grade be and uh, on what basis? And then, and then just moving forward, you might as well go the professorial route. Last question goes to you. Bruce Harrell's year in review and the challenge in 2024. King Bruce, King Bruce, how do I grade King Bruce? Now, um, uh, look, if we want to assess the mayor in terms of political popularity and political influence over the last year, I think he gets an A grade, right? I mean, he's had a very good year on those fronts. I mean, he's really demonstrated that his, you know, imprimatur, his endorsement really seemed to have mattered uh, in the council races. He's broadly popular, the public clearly likes him and they think at least his heart is in the right place and that they want to be aligned with him and, and you know, his sort of calls for greater emphasis on things like public safety or, you know, cleaning up how the city looks and stuff like that. That said, like, you know, this is a kind of year in review sort of episode that we're doing here. And one of the recurring themes we've had on Seattle Nice over the last year is, you know, kind of where's the plan? Like, where's the fentanyl plan? Where's the homelessness plan? Where's the, you know, what is our strategy? What is our approach to these big looming issues and problems that we're facing as a city? And I think we're still looking for that. What is the broader direction 
I think Erica's right to point to the fact that, yeah, there's been some, you know, kind of visible progress on encampments downtown or things like that. But the fundamental underlying problems are still there and maybe as bad, if not worse than ever, right? So what are we going to do about that, right? And I think that's, that's the big question now for, for the mayor and his team and for this new council, as we talked about this last week, like balls in your court, you got the big win, you have a unified, you know, kind of political leadership for the most part. So what's the what's the play, right? What's the what's the plan? And let's be realistic. Do you, Sandeep, last question. I'm, I'm stealing the last question away from David. Do you think it's likely that there actually is a plan? Because I, I you know, we say things like this, like, what's the plan? And, and like, and I'll, just to state the obvious, I don't think there is a unified plan. Because I think if, you know, if Bruce Harrell, like, had something, you know, brilliant up his sleeve, uh, he would have revealed it by now. And I'm not saying, that, again, I think some of these these things are um, just endemic crises that have, are happening all over the country. But, you know, I think we're also, no mayor is ever honest about that. And so... Yeah. So when you're saying what's the plan, do you actually mean that? Or are you being rhetorical? No, but I'm, well, I, I, I don't know that there's a plan right now. I will say again, as I mentioned earlier in the in the podcast, I think there are some conversations coming together right now, some very nascent conversations with stakeholders around on issues like the fentanyl crisis or issues like homelessness to kind of kind of say, what can we do in this new political reality? to pull together a plan. So no, I don't think those plans exist right now. I'm What I'm saying is there's some potential here that we may see some of that emerge over the next several months, but but maybe not, right? I mean, I think it's an open question, right, uh, of, of whether the city's going to get its act together and develop a kind of strategies on some of these problems that they can coalesce support around. I think that's one of the things we're going to be looking at in 2024 to see whether that happens. Okay, that's it for another edition of Seattle Nice. Thank you so much for appreciating this program over the last two years. It's the two-year anniversary of Seattle Nice. You may recall, loyal listeners, that our first episode was about the recall, the unsuccessful recall of Shama Sawant. Now Sawant is leaving the council, so it's an interesting bookend for us for the last couple of years. If you've been enjoying this important programming, taking you inside Seattle City Hall and Seattle City politics, please support it now by going to Patreon. Go to Patreon slash Seattle Nice to support it and to support our fantastic editor, Quinn Waller. For everybody here at Seattle Nice, I'm David Hyde with Sandeep Kashik and Erica C. Barnett. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you.